right, welcome back to your seats. It is uh, time to start. We're going to pick up here with the theme of Christ coming into the world and Advent. Let's pray. Father God, uh, now we pray against that terrible saying, familiarity breeds contempt. God, we've heard this story a lot. This timeless truth from God that can set our hearts free. We pray, God, that you'd prepare us to hear once again with a fresh understanding of these wonderful truths, Lord, sent from heaven to make a difference in our hearts and lives. In Christ's name, amen. amen. So when businesses want to get our attention and maybe catch your eye as you're driving by, some of them use those silly inflatables. You've seen them, right? They set them up on the roof or a giant gorilla or an enormous cowboy that's expanding and contracting and flailing its <laughs> arms like, hey, everybody, look over here. You don't want to miss this. And I think that's kind of the idea behind a couple of miraculous events recorded in the Bible regarding uh, the birth of Christ, the Savior. Uh, God says, hey, everybody, look over here. Don't miss this. Uh, and so, yeah, with the season of Advent uh, upon us, Advent, of course, uh, describing uh, the word arrival or coming of Christ's uh, first coming to save us from our sins, uh, we turn our attention uh, to Advent and the Christmas theme here. Uh, and because it God's great love for us and that he didn't want anybody uh, to miss out because he doesn't want anybody to perish, uh, to quote the word. Um, so he made a bit of a spectacle regarding uh, the birth of Christ, uh, not once but twice. Uh, he did some eye-popping uh, miraculous things in the sky to get our attention. So the God of glory uh, pulls out the stops for the big birth announcement. First with angels, as we read this morning, lighting up the skies over Bethlehem, like heaven's searchlights kind of streaming back and forth. An angel announcing, don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people for this day. Uh, a child is born, he is Christ the Lord, a savior. And then suddenly that great company of that heavenly host appears with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest of that is a wow and way better than any silly uh, inflatable thing right because God's got unlimited resources doesn't he and so uh, he can when he wants to do something spectacular uh, that's right up his alley and so not too long after the spectacular sight over um, Bethlehem another miraculous display which will be the focus of our passage this morning uh, announcing the birth of the Savior not over the skies of Bethlehem but over the skies of Babylon uh, yeah, because the good news is not just for Israel. He's not just king of the Jews, as the wise men will call him, uh, but he is king of kings and lord of lords, and he came 
to save the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only uh, son. So this is good news for everyone. So a star appears and it's called his star. That's amazing. Some kind of astronomical phenomenon that points the way to Christ and eternal life. And those who are wise will follow his light and come to worship as we're going to see this morning, this well-known, well-loved uh, passage here. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who's been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born, and amazingly they know. Verse 5, they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for that this is what has been written by the prophet, and I included there Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, quoting, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi in, determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may too come and worship him. (laughs) Freudian slips happen, people. You never know. You never know. Okay. Because that, as you all know, is going to be his intent. After hearing the king, the wise men went on their way and the star which they had seen in the east, went on now before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. That is amazing. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. How's that for redundancy to make uh, an effect for emphasis there? Finishing up after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Wow. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by a different route. And so that's going to be our consideration for this morning. The skies are filled with angels, a supernatural star guiding men from other nations. God is sending a message, isn't he? Uh, This is no ordinary child. This is no ordinary birth. Uh, This is somebody that you need to know. In fact, your life 
in an, in an etern eternal sense uh, depends on it. Yeah, that's the most important question. Who is he? The object of ancient prophecies, of angelic praise. He even has his own star. It's his star. Uh, and, and, and that's the question. His identity, of course, is the most important question of all. As Jesus points out, who do you say that I am? And he says this is an important question because the answer to the question and the proper response to the truth determines where we spend eternity. As John chapter 3 and verse 36 says, he who has the son has life. He who doesn't have the son shall not see life for the wrath of God remains upon them. The only reason the wrath of God is not remaining on you and me is because the wrath of God was laid on Christ on our behalf and we accepted the deal that we put our trust in him and call on his name. So knowing the answer to who Christ is is really important. And this miraculous uh, incident that's exclusive to Matthew's gospel, you won't find it in the other three uh, it, it's there to remind us who Christ truly is and what our proper response uh, should be. So let's get to it, verses 1 and 2. And behold the star as it shines in the eastern sky and begin the journey with those who are wise. So now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod, the Magi come and they've got a question. So wise men still seek him. And the big irony here is that these wise men are not Jews. And they seem to know something that the Jewish population doesn't know about their own Messiah. And they come from other nations, which is the word Gentiles. So these men are Gentiles. The word just means nations apart from Israel. And so it underscores the truth that's throughout the New Testament. And John chapter 1 says it really well. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, born of his spirit. And so, I, I, I mean, God has always loved the world. And so there was a, a local spectacular display above the skies of Bethlehem. But there was a prophetic truth hidden in this historic incident that it is really the nations of the world that God is after. And... Uh, Men and women will come to the, the Christ, which means Messiah, from every part of the world. And there, this is a picture of that exact thing going on. And they, these guys seem to understand that there are wider and more grander titles uh, than other than the one he, they, they are using. Where is he born king of the Jews? Uh, they know the deities involved here. I mean, who can move a star except God? And so they understand perhaps they have some of the Jewish uh, scriptures, Isaiah, as we quoted this morning, unto us a child is born, speaks of his humanity. Unto us a son is given, speaks to his deity because a virgin conceived of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't have 
a human father. He is fully God and fully man, the God-man, Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he shall be called this child. This child shall be called uh, Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God. So the Jews have in their own scripture an understanding that their Messiah is going to be equal to God in every way, called Almighty God, for he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God uh, with us. So I think the wise men are picking up on that, that it's not just the king of the Jewish nation that they're risking their lives in great expense to travel over 800 miles from Babylon. And uh, it took Ezra and his party, his entourage, four months to make that journey. So I don't think they're coming all that way and, and investing all that time and throwing themselves before a toddler or a baby, bringing treasures unless they had an understanding that this is more than just a king of the Jewish uh, people. So that's exactly how they speak as well. And so, yeah, and it speaks prophetically. Who's been filling heaven for 2,000 years? The Jews? No. It's the Gentiles. The Gentile nations have been coming in by the groves for 2,000 years. It's the world. Well, Israel is taking a big time out. Now, after God is finished with the church and that last Gentile is saved, then he brings Israel back front and center and spends the last seven years of human history dealing with her. And it's a, the tr great tribulation is called the time of Israel's trouble. And so at the end of that, they look up, they cry out, and Romans chapter 11 and verse 26 says the nation itself will convert and be and receive their uh, Messiah. You know, talk about stubborn. I don't think anybody's that stubborn in the world like uh, to go on for uh, thousands of years like that. So that's a little bit of an aside uh, there. Look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there's nobody else. Isaiah 45 and verse 22. Okay, so they've come from the east, guided by a star to find the newborn uh, king. Now, if you, let's talk about this. If you get your theology from Hallmark cards or Christmas carols, you're in for a bit of a surprise. The traditions are warm and, and very endearing, but they're not biblically accurate. Let's talk about this. Uh, we three kings... We sing about them, we see them at the manger scene and on greeting cards, but let's clear up some misunderstandings. How many came? How many in the party there? Um, well, it doesn't say three, but because there are three gifts, maybe, or because it makes for better lyrics in the Christmas carol, I mean, we three kings sounds better than we, a large group of people uh, of various uh, vocations. Uh, yeah, who's going to sing that? Uh, not us. And who's going to find that funny? No one, apparently. <laughs> Uh, but I digress, as I often do. All, uh, uh, but some scholars suggest that it was a large 
large group uh, because all Jerusalem was disturbed when they arrived. So commentators say it would make sense that a larger delegation caused a citywide disturbance, right? And, and so I'm sure it was a, 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 an impressive entourage, but were they kings? It doesn't say kings uh, there. And so, yeah, and, and I, I sincerely doubt that they rode over, you know, 800 miles of wasteland wearing those fancy clothes and, uh, <laughs> and all the crowns on their head. You know, I think that they were wearing comfortable clothes myself anyway, uh, and not to worry if uh, you have spent great money on a creche, which is a manger scene. Um, sadly, the scripture doesn't place them at the manger. Uh, they, they come a little time later. Most scholars put everything together six months to 18 months in keeping with the year, the age of Herod's would-be victims, two years and younger, when he answered the question, when did the star first appear? So who are uh, these guys, and how did they know Messiah was born? Well, the word Magi, as you've heard every Christmas time, uh, is associated with sages, philosophers, astrologers in the best sense of that word, better called astronomers in their case because they are God-fearing men and they have the scriptures and uh, so they would know that the scriptures condemn uh, fortune-telling and occultic nonsense like that. So they're scholarly philosophers who would give advice to kings. So we're close there with the dignitary thing. Uh, but they've gotten a hold of some Jewish scriptures, and they've done the math, and they configured things out. How in the world did that happen uh, in the east there. Well, there's a sizable Jewish population living in the east, in Babylon and in Persia, modern day Iraq and modern day Iran. How did they get there? They're there to this day. Well, they got there 600 years earlier when King Nebuchadnezzar who ruled over Babylon invaded Jerusalem in 586 and uh, exiled Jews as, and took them as POWs and took them to Babylon. And after the exile finished in 70 years, many Jews went back with Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the place, but many of them stayed. Now there's a Jewish presence there that has preserved the Jewish scriptures. And guess who was one of the POWs who didn't go back to Israel because God had given, given him great influence over the empire. Prophet Daniel. So Daniel has written a book that no doubt in Babylon, that's where he wrote it. And it's no doubt still copied through and kept by the power of the Holy Spirit. And these men have, Daniel chapter 9 has a countdown 
where he starts uh, prophesying the exact day Jesus would arrive in Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. And if you do the math in the 70-week prophecy given in Daniel chapter 9, scholars have figured it out. It's to the day from 444 B.C. all the way to Palm Sunday. Count the days and you have Jesus there. And so they have the scriptures and they have other, uh, other than Daniel they have the Jewish communities there and so if you're wise <laughs> you're not bowing before some dumb idols in Babylon you're interested in the one true God and that's part of the reason God let King Nebuchadnezzar come in and then Assyria come in 200 years earlier for the north and take his people and spread them all over the world so that there would be a presence. God has not left himself without a witness. Uh, Acts chapter 14 in one of the New Testament sermons is that he, he planted the Jews. He dispersed them. In fact, the word is di- di- diaspora, is the fancy word of how the Jews end up all over the world. And so that's how it happened. Uh, and, and so there's even... Uh, a verse in Numbers uh, 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, which is another name for Israel, and a scepter shall arise out of Israel. Right there, a star over the land of Israel associated with a scepter, a king. Where is the king born? Born king. Where is the born king? And this is what made Herod crazy um, because Herod was appointed political expediency from Rome. Caesar Augustus appointed him with all kinds of bribery and corruption. And he was a wannabe. He was a wannabe. He wasn't even Jewish, a fact that he liked to hide from people. He was an Edomite, an enemy of the Jews, this King Herod. And so that would explain when he hears the word born king. This is a king who is the rightful royal blood in him. Uh, It sends shivers down his spine. So uh, more here now, three through six. We'll get to that um, king now. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Let's talk about this. Uh, We've already read it. And so, yeah, note takers, the wise are drawn to him uh, while fools are repelled for lots of reasons. A little bit about this foolish man named Herod. So as I was saying, he got appointed by Caesar, and he's not in the royal line. Uh, in fact, uh, he's really uh, a foreigner. He's not eth- ethnically Jewish. Uh, the one who, believe it or not, is in the line of the kings, related to every Judean king, is Joseph. Who knew that? Nobody knew that, obviously, except maybe the wise men who say, where's the real king? Where, where's the true king? The true king would be Joseph. And by 
legally adopting Jesus. Uh, Jesus is his son, and he, he fulfills the promise to David through the kings, through Joseph, his stepfather. But wait, there's more. <laughs> he doesn't need that because he's got the bloodline from Mary, whose genealogy is in Luke. Chapter 3, it's a little confusing, but her bloodline goes back to King David. So he's got the bloodline, he's got the right, and, and by nature of being the second person of the Godhead, for in him dwells the fullness of deity in bodily form. In other words, in the body, the human body of Jesus, you have God himself. And that is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. And so, yeah, they want to know, who's the, where's the born king? <laughs> where's the born king? The real one, the real deal. Now, uh, he is troubled, it says. And that word means agitated, struck with dread, threatened, upset. It's the same word used of the disciples when they're scared out of their wits when Jesus is walking on the water in the middle of the night and he says, it is I. <laughs> and it says, they were troubled. So it's a mix of anxiety and dread and um, uh, upset. And, and that's too bad because a lot of people are like that when they hear about him because they feel he's a threat. Now, why is all Jerusalem troubled with him? Because Jerusalem is used to this megalomaniac who anytime there was a rival, uh, even he didn't like people adoring his beautiful wife. He felt so insecure that she was so beautiful uh, and, he, and he loved her. And this is what it, Josephus says. But he thought for sure she's going to get sick of me sooner or later and go after some other guy, so let's just deal with her now. And killed her. And a couple sons as well. And he goes crazy in five years he dies. He has five years left to live here. And at the end of his life, sensing that no one was going to be, no one would care, that he would die and nobody would cry at his funeral right before he died. He had a whole bunch of people killed. So people would be crying at his funeral, but not because he was gone. This is the kind of guy. He's called Herod the Great, and, and commentators say, yeah, the great sinner. Yes, so, and he was a genius architect. Okay, he, He's the builder, the wailing wall that's standing in Israel, it's a western retaining wall. He built that, and it's still there. It's the only thing left of Solomon's temple, really, that's original, but that's his doing. And if you go to Masada, up there, the ruins there, that's all him. He was a genius. But you know, even the greatest accomplishments of highly skilled people, they're of little worth when they're better known for being corrupt or evil. You know, so just wipe out any good thing you've ever done if you don't have the character and the, the moral fortitude uh, that makes anything we do uh, worth anything at all. And so he's so insecure, self-absorbed, paranoid, and, and all the rest. And so, yeah, terrible human being. And so 
yeah, so the real deal is why he's agitated is because he hears that there's another king. And he's like, what? Another king beside me? Oh, my goodness. What to do about that? I'd have to bow my knee to another? Uh, yeah. And one commentator said, Herod, like all of us, have to step down from our imaginary throne where we reign and rule over our own lives and enthrone God Quote, now First Timothy, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. God needs to run our lives and he can do a better job of it than we can. After all, nobody decided to create themselves and nobody here can sustain our lives. We were created by this sovereign God who is king of all kings and he wants the throne room of our hearts because we were created for him, for his purposes. This is his world. This is his oxygen and he puts his oxygen in our lungs that he created for him. You see, so it's a good thing, but there are people who just want to be in charge of their own lives and they hold him at bay. Now, he he calls in the religious experts here. He wants uh, more information so he knows how to proceed, you know, and so. And, and they say, hey, guys, I don't think he's very happy. You know, he calls the experts, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he says, hey, Guys, look, uh, we're a little embarrassed here, caught a little off guard. Our friends have arrived from a distant country, and they want to know where our king has been born. You guys, don't you, isn't that what we pay you to do? Come on up and tell us what's going on. And so, yeah, what kind of experts are you, really? And then these guys who never agree together, they hate each other in their little factions, they all chime together in unison right away because they see the terror in this king's eyes. And so they're going to cop to the truth that they've always, always known and never acted upon and didn't care about. Everyone knows, O king, it's Bethlehem, according to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And and there it is. It lays it out. And, and, you know, look at the prophecy. Though you're just a small little village, Bethlehem, you know, just a podunk little town, but from you is a ruler going to come and the fuller version of the prophecy is from whose origins are from eternity and he shall rule the earth is the sense there. And I love the fact that the Holy Spirit throws in and he will shepherd my people. He, this king, will have a compassionate, loving, tender care for his people as opposed to this beast, King Herod. And so, yeah, yeah. So, so this is in keeping with who God is. He, God, he, come on. He manifests himself where? In a podunk little village, you know, in a stable, really, in a stable, because there's no room for him. In the world and in our hearts, this is a parable. It really happened the way it happened, but it speaks prophetic truth 
This God is for the underdog. He's for the poor in spirit. He's for those who mourn, who don't have their act together, who the world looks down and says, ooh, weak and foolish. She goes, exactly. I'm going to take the weak and the foolish and the things that are not and make them confound the world's so-called wisdom. And so I, I get encouraged the way he chose to dwell among us, not in palaces and not with kings, but he grew up in a place called Nazareth. Everyone despised that little town, but he picked it as one of the disciples, was it Philip or Bartholomew, said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And laughed, and the answer was, come and see. (laughs) Come and see. So yeah, that's our God, that's our Savior. He doesn't have everything flashing and everything together, but he's for us. And so one of my takeaways right away is that, uh, you know, when they came up with the answer, people know way more about God than they like to admit, you see. And uh, in fact, Romans chapter 1 says there's no such thing as an atheist. There's only those who have a willful unbelief. There's just no, Romans chapter 1 says God's spirit has made it clear to everyone through creation and conscience that he exists, you see. So whenever I'm talking to an unbeliever, I'm always thinking so many, so often I say to myself, they know. They know. (laughs) They have a conscience. They're looking around and the Bible says they know at some level they know. And so these guys, they know. And and what's said is, is that they have the knowledge to point others to Christ, but they themselves won't go. That's like people. That's like people we know or hear about on NPR radio, you know, who come out around Christmas time in search of the real Jesus, you you know? Okay. So what did they do with all of their knowledge? Nothing. Now, one writer said, Herod's hatred for God is manifested with rage. The scribe's hatred for God manifests through indifference. And uh, that's called being passive-aggressive. We don't even talk about Jesus. Verses 7 through 8. Then Herod secretly calls the Magi to determine from them the exact time the star appeared because he wants to know who he's dealing with. How old is he? And so that's why scholars say, Perhaps they said a year ago, and he tacks on an extra year just to be safe, but somewhere between six months ago and 18 months ago uh, was probably the answer. It took a long time for them to be able to plan that trip and to get across the barren wastelands. And so, yeah, so he wants to find out where he is. And so he begins surprising, not surprisingly, with deception and lies. Right, what's he want? He wants a private audience. He wants to give them a VIP tour of his palace. He, he wants to wine and dine them and gain their trust so that he doesn't need to send an entourage with them. He lets them go and says, hey, I trust you. 
after feeding you and, and giving you gifts and hinting at all of the ways I'm going to reward you for this information, he's secretly flattering and all of that, uh, uh, sends them to do their due diligence and find out. You know, I think he wants to be the first man in history um, to outmaneuver the Lord. And um, just spoiler alert, it didn't happen. <laughs> and yeah, little does he know the toddler he wants to uh, now make a move on, right? Because, you know, let's get him while he's little. But uh, apparently he missed the verse in the Bible that says, there's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. That's Proverbs 21 and verse 30. Uh, So yeah, continuing on, 9 through 10. After hearing the king, they went on their way and that star reappears because apparently it dropped from sight when the, when the when the Lord led them to the capital city of Jerusalem he intended them to have a little pit stop so the star goes away and they're there and they're needing to ask directions well where is he because the star's not leading us anymore right and and why did God do that well God wanted them to give their testimony a supernatural occurrence. This is a big deal. And and now the king has heard the story. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the chief priests have heard the story. And they've all had a, a nice Bible study on Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. So now that we've heard there's a supernatural sign from God and scriptures to back it up, and everybody, including all of Jerusalem, has heard Now we know it's Bethlehem, but I can imagine them going the six-mile road south. They get on the road, and they're like, Bethlehem, it's a small little village, but how are we ever going to find him? Boom, there it is again. As if their prayers were heard, it reappears like, I got you. And and here's the pileup of redundancy in the verse that's almost linguistically very awkward. When they saw the star reappear, as it were, they rejoiced. It would have been enough to say they rejoiced. We get it. They rejoiced. They rejoiced exceedingly. Okay, now we got two things going on. They rejoiced then exceedingly with who would you say with joy? Well, why are you saying with great joy. They're saying, listen, how do you describe in words when your soul comes out of lies, deceit, darkness, greed, anxiety, sin that you can't say no to, and then you find God, the one who created you and knows you, and you put it together. Aha! You've been guiding me. That was you. That was you, that star guiding me straight to Jesus. And now you figure it out. It's not just that God loves the world out there and God's out there, the forces out there, the universe, something's doing something out there to the world. But no, there's a personal God that's heard your thoughts and guided your footsteps and led you right to him. 
so that you could know him and experience his love. How do you explain that in words? Go ahead and try. That's why they're like, joy, 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 joy on top of joy. They were so joyous, they were joyful. They were joyful to be joyful with joy, exceedingly. <laughs> oh my goodness, right. And uh, yeah, now I'm going to cry in front of you all because I'm thinking about the day that it happened. And uh, we were riding home. Uh, to the only Christian we knew and it happened like that and uh, we we saw this, I was driving home from the city to Santa Cruz and we answered our cell phone and <laughs> it was my dad, just kidding <laughs> we were heading to see my dad and uh, this is how it unfolded there was a rainbow in front of us my brother and I and I started to feel <laughs> is this really happening to me? You know, after all I've done and all my chances, and I think I'm telling you this story because I'm wanting you to think about how God led you and was so patient. I should not even be alive after some of the shenanigans I was involved in. And so I certainly shouldn't be out of prison uh, by now. Just kidding. I <laughs> no, no. Even, even, even as an unbeliever, no, 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 nothing like that. But just really messed up for sure. All right. So a lot of joy. Let's finish up here. After coming into the house, not the manger, into the house, and normally uh, in Jewish writing, you would address, you would say the the mother first, not the child. But this child is God. So, yeah, they see the child and Mary as mother. Where's Joseph? Whoa, God's providence. Joseph, don't you have something to be doing in the field? Why? Lest the wise men think that Joseph's the dad. There's no dad here. Yes, he's acting as stepfather. But don't get the wrong idea. There's mommy, there's daddy. And there's their baby. No, 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 no. So they fall to the ground. That's the place all seekers, when it hits you, you fall to the ground. It means my life's over. Now I live for the God who created me and saved me and brought me by a supernatural design to a knowledge that I didn't even want to know. I wasn't very happy when I found out, to be honest. But there it is, a surrender. And this is how you know genuine salvation has come to a heart when you connect the dots and you throw yourself down and it's no longer your life. Now you're going to live for Christ. And what brings him joy to do his will, you see. Opening their treasures, and, and, and the treasures make, mean nothing without the first giving of their hearts. Lord, my life belongs to you. I put myself in the offering. I belong to you. I give you my thought life. I give you my actions. I give you my marriage, my dreams, my career, my bank account, my money. Because what do you have 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
What do you have that you did not receive from God? So that's why they throw themselves before him. Because everything I am and have and hope to be, I owe it all to him. So maybe three kings, because as I said, three presents, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. I don't know that they know what they're doing. They may know because there's enough in Daniel and Isaiah to tell you all three symbols there. The gold associated with royalty and deity. The frankincense associated with high priest activity and the incense of mediation of the high priest's prayers. So he is king and he is uh, God, he is deity, he is a mediator, he is the high priest, but also the myrrh. The myrrh is screaming, embalming spice. So there's the high priest who has deity, he's a king, who will lay down his life for the sins of the world. That's the reason the king came. Jesus said, uh, excuse me, nobody takes the life of the son of God. John chapter 10, he says, the son of God, the good shepherd, he lays it down for the life and love of his people. Yeah, and so gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way, which blew a head gasket in the perverted head of this usurper king. And so he took that information, as most of you know, and he made an edict, and he gave a command to round up all the boys. All the boys, two years and younger, and kill them which was also in the prophecies. And you know, Satan was trying to kill the Messiah who would conquer him, as he did once before with Pharaoh, with the first deliverer. The first deliverer, he got wind, was coming to lead the people in Exodus out of Egypt, which is a picture of Jesus, and Moses is a type of Christ. And when the devil got wind that he's about to be born, he incited Pharaoh to do the same thing and kill all the kids around so that the first deliverer wouldn't come. Well, the first deliverer was born and was used by God in a mighty way, and the second deliverer was born, and he reached the cross on the day he was supposed to reach there for he came for that very purpose. He did not lose. It wasn't his, <laughs> it, it wasn't, he wasn't killed for his good work. It was his good work to be killed. Yes, see. Which leads us into communion time. Let's pray first. Lord Jesus, we look to you now the one who came and became one of us for the sole purpose of laying down your life. You needed a body, you needed a heartbeat so that you could exchange it and, and be our substitute and take the wrath and make the payment. The payment is death. So you paid it for us so that anyone who puts their faith in you could live forever. 
We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.